before we get into, you know, proper follow-up for the show, I do want to ask probably what's more important follow-up for this week. How overboard did you go on 4th of July in terms of eating? Did you have anything really good? Cause I had a gazillion ribs and that's a, that's a, a big deal for me because as you know, I live with a vegetarian, so I don't get to have ribs very often and man, they were so good. Please tell me you ate something really delicious on 4th of July. I'm trying to remember what I had on the 4th of July, which is yesterday, which is to say that I didn't have anything. Didn't have anything too yummy. Incredibly delicious. Man, it's depressing. Went to, no, I tell you what I did. I went to Cracker Barrel, which. Nothing's more 4th of July <laughs> than Cracker Barrel. Had pecan pancakes, mm. eggs and sausage at Cracker Barrel. That sounds pretty good. It's delicious. I love breakfast. What are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> What are you doing right after this? Do they still have breakfast all day? Is that a thing they oh, do? Oh, yes. They have breakfast all oh, day. Now they're, they're, they close. You know, they're not 24 hours, as oh, far as I know. We could go to the IHOB. No? Too soon? I, <laughs> I mean, it's not soon enough. I, <laughs> I mean, it hasn't officially happened yet, I guess. Has it not? I don't know. Has it? I'm still confused. I'm, part so, of me still thinks that this is some kind of really... Some publicity stuff. That's all it is. All all it is 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 a marketing tactic. So they're not really changing their name, or are they? No, no. Okay, their name is not changing. It's just a marketing tactic of hey, just wanted to let you know we have burgers. We're coming out with a new uh, a new fleet of burgers. So well, so here's my problem with this. If people don't know that it's not real, did it work? It's it's a, was it effective? No. no. Now, okay, was it effective? People talk about it. Yeah, people aren't quite sure what to make of it. But I don't think that people are talking about it while driving to <laughs> IHOP. I think that people are talking about it while driving past IHOP, more so on their way to. Cracker Barrel. Like they're driving past, <laughs> past it. Yeah. And they see that the sign still says, I hop with a P. It's like, oh, I thought they were going to rename that. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll drive by it again. We'll see. No lie. This is the exact thing happened to me the other day. <laughs> it was like, wait, I thought they were changing their name. No. Oh, that was really dumb. <laughs> Why did they do that? Uh, you know, like, my, like a friend of mine said in college, marketers don't always come up with really good ideas, which is really suspect because like that's their whole job. It's like when you can come up with a better idea than they do. Yeah. Something's off. At least clearly see that there had to be a better idea than this. Because I think the whole, the aim of it to be like, Hey, we really, we would like more people to come in for lunch and dinner and Hey, we have lunch and dinner food. You know, we're not just a, a pancake place, not just for breakfast. That's all fine and good. I just feel like there is some way better ideas that had to have been on the table rather than this mess. Okay. One last really legitimate question before we dive into the the show proper. Are you a, well, I already know you're a Cracker Barrel person, but put, put the old barrel to the side. IHOP or Waffle House? They're just very... Different. All right, I, I just, act- get it, just get into follow-up. 
I don't even want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> it's Waffle House. I mean, obviously. I would choose to go to Waffle House, but they're they're very they're very different. I mean, Waffle House is just Waffle House is its own special type of food yeah now you're talking i mean it's just it's just it's off the charts you're saying things i like now in a very different way like i was thinking i mean i was thinking about because we were driving near waffle house to get to cracker barrel the other day and i was thinking i really i mean i'm getting breakfast i know that much maybe if you just go to waffle house and it was like well that's not actually the type of breakfast that i want like i yeah, want something it is that different. has some more you know some more heartiness to it and a little more, a little bit more refined. You don't, you you don't just want empty calories. Right. It's just like, you know, but I mean, really good stuff to be had at Waffle House. All right. So what's going on with swiping down for spotlight? So Our have, first, first correction. I have a correction. I have a, I have an admission to make. I was wrong. And once I figured it out, I was just like, how did that not hit me? So I was in my coworkers QB the other day and saw his Google to Google <laughs> Pixel 2 6P. And I just thought, I thought about the gestures and how I found them uh, just really interesting and enamoring and how swiping down to get to control center would just be so wonderful when you're just on your home screen, right? Because as I said, nothing happens when you swipe down on your home screen. But do you know what, Levi? What happens when you swipe down on your home screen? Here's my question. Are yes. you talking about like a full swipe down from the top? No. Or you're just talking about like finger in the bottom third, you swipe down. You Anywhere get to search. on the screen. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you open spotlight. So we were talking about swiping up um, on this Google device would do something for you. Just swipe swiping up in the middle of the home screen and then swiping down in the middle of the home screen. And so if you could do that on the iPhone, then... That's just, it's, it's easier not to have to go all the way to the bottom of the phone to pull up multitasking, you know, not to get all the way down to the home indicator. And it would be really nice for control center, you know, for instance, to be able to just swipe down in the middle. But I mean, perhaps they could combine some sort of control center. And now if they put control center with the multitasking, that takes care of it because let's just verify as we do this, nothing happens if you swipe up in the middle of of the home screen. True. So that that would that would work. So we'll see. They've if got they, some wiggle room there. They've got some wiggle room. Which is especially if you hold down on an app for a little while and Oh nice. I see what you did. This is really important for well, like the four point seven inch phone and the iPhone ten, uh and the in the plus, of course. Um uh, I don't know if there's much of a need. Like you know, on your little four inch phone you can get corner to corner. Absolutely. Without breaking a sweat. Absolutely. No sweat. Apple came out last week. Was it last? No, it had to have been like two Fridays ago, right? Because it was, we talked about it last week, but they come out on a Friday, you know, classic Apple dump the news move here um, with this whole keyboard fix for MacBooks and MacBook Pros. So basically 2015 through last year's 2017 MacBook Pro model. The whole butterfly mechanism, keyboards, acting acting wonky, um, but they put a they put a cap on it. Did this bother you, Philip? Did this did this uh, seemingly arbitrary four year cap uh, rankle you in some way? I think it's bothered everybody, and there's been a lot of talk on plenty of other podcasts about how 
Apple laptops in particular are very useful for way more than four years. Yeah. So why would they cap it at four years? And in my mind, it's really sensible, perhaps what they should do, which is cap it as long as you usually provide OS updates. Because obviously, Uh, if you're still providing the Mac OS update that far back, then you feel like that's still a useful machine. Yeah. It's worth updating. So for instance, your and yours and mine, uh, 2010 and 2011, uh, MacBook pros just got left behind. They are not. Oh, did they? Supported okay. With, uh, I was wondering why I wasn't getting Mojave. constantly. Oh, for Mojave. Okay. Cause I haven't, up- I haven't updated to high Sierra on my 2011. Uh, but I think it's, prompted me to and I just haven't done it. Right. So High Sierra came out last year in 2017 for a 2010 machine. So to me like Apple fully <laughs> fully feels that 7 years is a reasonable amount of time to continue using a laptop because otherwise they wouldn't come out with the OS update for it. So I think that only makes sense. My 2011 MacBook Pro which Really is not getting used much these days. I've had some recent problems with it, like just crazy stuff that's been going on with it. But a few weeks ago, uh, a few of the keys just finally died. Just a horrible death. Now, I'm not surprised by this because it's, it's, it's basically Brittany's machine at this point, And she's at home all day with three children who are, you know just giant slobs and messes. And so there's, there's no telling what's in, you know, underneath those keys. So I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised at all, but luckily I had an extra magic keyboard lying around. So I've just, you know, synced that up for her, gave it to her and she places it on top of the keyboard <laughs> on the MacBook pro, but it's so light and she types so lightly that there's no issues with her uh, typing with that. It's pretty Very funny. Nice. Yeah. So it, it, it's basically a feedback machine now for after she does these online classes at night because it's easier for her to type on that than to do all the typing on the iPad Pro. But she's basically teaching these classes now entirely with the iPad and not using the uh, the uh, old school 2011 MacBook Pro anymore, which makes me a little... I don't know how to feel about it exactly because that was the last MacBook Pro that I bought you know, with my own money. Of course, I'm using them at work now, but... It's, it just makes me a little sad because the end is the end is nigh for this machine, and I don't know a little. It was it was like my baby before I started having babies. I feel for it, but it's so it's going on its way. She could type with the exact same keyboard on the iPad. She could. I think it's more also has to do with like you know having the trackpad and being able to easily maneuver. And I know what you're gonna say. You can you can go to like trackpad mode with you know, whatever on the, on the, no, that's, that's not the same at all. Is it not? I don't know. No, I've never I mean, used it. Reach up to the screen. Yeah. So you never use trackpad mode. I haven't. And on the, on the keyboard, moving the cursor around on an iOS device. Yep. Never have. I hear people talking about it a lot more than the last few weeks. Um, I guess there's something in the beta about it, but, uh, yeah, never used it. So I don't, so the, with the beta, you can use the space bar to go, left and right, which you've been able to do with Gboard, which I use on my SE especially. You, you, with Gboard, since it's 
and since they rolled out Gborg, you could swipe on the space bar left and right to move the cursor, uh, which okay. is really super nice. And uh, so they've included that with the built-in keyboard now, too. That's what I've been hearing. Do you use your uh, arrow keys very advantageously? On the iPad Pro with the smart keyboard, or are you talking about... Really any computer. Um, I definitely do on on the iMac. Yeah, for sure. You know, just I mean, easy. You use, like, control and yeah. option. And yeah, yeah, all that stuff. And- Mm-hmm. lines and all that stuff yeah okay yep very good more so on uh, but it's like my brain's trained for that on the mac and i it's like i don't get as trained for that when i'm on the ipad it's interesting but i don't know why although i did use it earlier uh when we were moving some some stuff around in the notes so maybe maybe i am using it and i just it's like a unconscious thing for me now that's good I wanted to uh, mention something I forgot when we were talking about Solo was that um, they used the Imperial March in Solo. They used it for uh, marketing by, <laughs> by the Empire. Which, which, okay, before you go into whatever point you're about to make, it was a little bizarre, right? Because it, it's basically... You know, I heard this on another podcast recently and I just didn't think about it at the time, but it's basically like the Imperial March is canon in Star Wars, like within the within the universe itself. <laughs> so it's, it's a little little I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know why it shouldn't be. I don't know. It it didn't strike me as that odd. Um I mean, music obviously is just part of star wars and the cantina and that whole bit i think what you meant to say was the music um in return of the jedi right with the 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 special edition um you know aliens singing and all that all that nonsense Uh, there's there's music in different parts of star wars some better than others certainly some better than others All that to be said, though, the, the Imperial March that they used in Solo was this Imperial March that I happened upon on Twitter, I think, uh, two or three years ago, which is the Imperial March in a major key. So if you noticed or if you go back, you can, you can find it on the Internet. Just look for the Imperial March in a major key. And it's just this oddly like cheery sounding imperial march not so ominous yeah um the original is obviously in a minor key for good reason and i thought i thought it was really interesting because to me it made a lot of sense like if you're marketing to other to people that aren't in the empire yet you would you would keep it in a major key keep it cheery and then once they once they come in you know and they understand what we're all about then internally we have we have the march in minor so do you think darth vader was just like walking down the hall one day and walked past recruiting and he heard them, you know, playing, maybe they were reviewing these, these, uh, commercials and he heard that music and he was like, yeah, kind of dig it, but it, it needs to be a little scarier. You think that's how it, how it happened? Well, so if, if solo is to be believed, does the Imperial March not predate Darth Vader? I don't know because to well we don't know right because we don't really know exactly where this is placed in terms of especially at the beginning of the movie when he's on his home planet 
like how he, well he is no 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 is he because he's only like what well, they don't tell us an exact age but that point is like three years earlier right so i think darth vader already exists at this point i would say does darth vader exist simultaneously with darth maul well i mean that's all <laughs> that's a whole other discussion because darth maul didn't really die obviously spoilers by the way <laughs> For Solo, uh, Darth Maul did not really die at the end of episode one, but you would only know this if you had watched Clone Wars or uh, Star Wars Rebels, because he's very heavily involved in those those animated shows. I haven't watched those yet. Would you recommend them? Um, I would recommend just going on YouTube and finding like a, you know, a recap, uh, because he is very heavily in both of those shows. And also, well, in Rebels is like closer to episode four than um, Clone Wars was obviously during the Clone Wars between episode two and three. Um, But the Star Wars Rebels show, which just finished up, I guess, this last uh, last fall or sometime soon, that was getting really close to episode four. And he has some involvement in that, which fits with the timeline that, you know, kind of what we're in in Solo. But yeah, I'm sure a lot of people when they got to that part and, you know, they probably recognized Darth Maul because he's kind of, he's kind of hard to miss, right? Yes. Um, I'm sure so. I wonder how many people were like, what? Like, I thought that guy was dead. I wonder how many people were genuinely surprised by it because they just thought he was dead this whole time because they haven't paid attention to any of the, you know, any of the animated shows, which are canon But, you know, like people got lives. (laughs) So they would they would have been genuinely surprised by that, you know, seeing him there. But I I was surprised, but it wasn't as surprising because I knew he's still alive, you know, at at this period of time. But spoilers, not much longer after that. So anyway, don't want to don't want to spoil too much more. But yes, uh, it was it was it was one of those um, it's one of those parts in the movie that it happens so fast, you know, like they're running through this. I don't even know what to call that, like kind of like an airport or something. I, I don't know. Go through like customs. Okay, yeah, and yeah, you just randomly see. That's not random, but you see these these little join the empire commercials and. Which okay, one more side note about Solo because we didn't talk about this either in the solo episode. How did you feel about the uh, the whole name thing? Like when he he's trying to get into the Empire just to, to escape. I want to know what his real name was. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't hate it, but it just... I, in large part, like, I, I go along with that sort of stuff. Yeah. Unless it's just egregious. It just made me want to know what his real name was. Maybe they don't have last names on Karelia. Yeah. I don't know. Last thing that I wanted to uh, follow up on, get back to, was that I mentioned when we, when we, I meant to, when we had our AirPods and AirPods Pro and um, larger headphones and all the, all the rumors around those, to ask you about swiping on AirPods, which some people seem to think would be nice to have. I just don't see that being a, a, a really viable option 
on the AirPods. I, I don't love the taps. Uh, I still feel as good as I've gotten at it now. And I mean, I'm, I'm pretty reliable with it now because I've figured out kind of where it wants to be tapped and how quickly. And where do you, what do you have yours set? Because I mean, at first it was just, the, you can only set both of them for one thing, right? So you could either choose play or pause or to activate Siri. And then I guess in a recent update, uh, they changed it to where you could, you know, you could choose. I'll do one action on the left ear, uh, AirPod and one on the right. How do, how do you have yours set up? I have both of them set to play pause. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's what I do as well. Because um, I just, for one, I, I we've talked about this a lot. I don't use Siri as much. Uh, and I could see you not having them be used for Siri just because you use Siri in so many other, other you activate Siri, Siri in other ways. Um, but I was curious, yeah, how you had that set up. If it intrigued you at all that once you could do both. I tried it, but to a certain extent, part of the reason that I have them set the same way is that I'll end up using just one. Yeah. And a lot of times, like I'll sometimes use just one right one or sometimes use just one left one. And so I don't want to be limited at that point that, well, if I'm just using the right one, I can only right initiate Siri or if I'm just using the left one, I can only play pause. Yeah. Same, same story here. And I, I think that's like a feature that people don't really talk about with the AirPods when it, when you talk about battery life, because I've had several people ask me, you know, they see me wearing them and they're just like, Oh, do you like those? And what's the battery life like? And I'm like, well, it's, it's five hours per AirPod, but the case is, is 24 hours. Right. So, but it's never ever an issue for me because I very rarely have both in. Like I'm always just, I usually always just have one in. And I'll just, as soon as I start to hear the beeps, uh, that the battery's getting to what, like 10%, I think is when it starts. Mm -hmm. I just swap them out. And I mean, you can go forever doing that before you ever have to even charge the, uh, the case. And, uh, I, I know most people probably don't use headphones that way, but just being for one, being able to use them that way because they're completely separate. Um, it's, I can, I can go for days without charging anything and it, it, it's no issue for me. And I feel like that in itself is kind of a feature to, to me because of how I use them. So I use both of them most often. Um, interestingly, I got my left one replaced under warranty because the, cause it's started being a lot softer than the right one. Um, for whatever reason. And so I got just the left one replaced under warranty, not, not the right one. Um, so where that lands me actually is that the left one has about when, when the right one runs out of battery, left one still has about 20% left. Mm. And so a lot of times like I'll use both of them until I drain the, the right one's battery and then I'll plop the right one in the charger. And by the time the left one's all the way down, the right one's all the way charged up at that point. I find that I just, I don't, I don't know how well the swiping would work. Yeah. I don't know how well, it would work I think, well. And I think most people, when they think of, of swiping on these things, they're thinking like, you know, swiping horizontally, right? Or, you know, left to right or right to left, whichever one you're using. Um, but that it's just such a small area. I would, which this would never work because this wouldn't, you know, spatially make sense in your head. But I think the best way it would work is if you were swiping vertically, because if you're, you'd have more surface area 
to like get a, an actual swipe if you know if you were like starting at the top of the airpod and swiping down maybe they could do something like that for like volume or something but but that would just be so confusing just mentally like you're trying to go to the next track but to swipe down that would be <laughs> that would never that would never work but that would never work like mentally for folks but i think that would be easier to engage doing it that way than you know swapping you know horizontally because there's just not as much to to hit i already have a hard enough time doing the tap right uh most times and that that in itself is frustrating i just i don't know because they're so small and you know my my fingers are not that small i don't know if i would get much use out of them and and i guess a lot of it too would be well how many new functions could you add with that would it just be you know, skipping ahead or, you know, going to the next track, whatever, whatever it is, or I don't know, like how much functionality do do you really get from adding something that might be physically hard to do for most people? Yeah. I just think if you have swiping on, on the outsides of them, that I think either it would be difficult to use the swiping or it would be too easy to accidentally while you're pulling out of your ear turn it down or go to the next track. Yeah. I mean, I really feel like Apple buys into the fact that they're going to create an incredible experience for those that have all of their devices. And that if you want to, you know, skip around in your music or skip ads in your podcasts is, 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 um, you know, what, what I end up doing the most with them is that you just have an Apple watch for that and in, in their mind like that's what you're going to use to skip forward a few times or then, gasp you pull out your phone or you pull out your phone i suppose that I suppose that's another option there is another way <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know i don't know if it would interest me all that much in terms of i mean because even you know like right now being able to do two functions with the tap I don't utilize both of those functions. I just utilize one. And and even still, a lot of times if I need to pause, I find myself more and more since they've added now playing to, you know, whatever they're doing with this whole raise to wake on your watch and it it automatically going to, to now playing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just, it's just, I guess, like a smart thing it does now when I'm playing something, it, it brings that up first. Or I don't know how they how they know to do that all the time, but it's an option. Is it an option? Okay. Yeah, it's an option in settings too. If you, if you're playing something, then it always shows you now. Playing. I don't remember ever setting that. So I think it. I don't know what it defaults to. Um, I mean, I I really wanted it back then, so I I certainly don't get me wrong. I appreciate it mm-hmm. because eighty five percent of the time, it's exactly what I want. So I found myself instead of tapping to pause, like if I'm talking, you know, if someone comes up to talk to me, I'll just go straight to my watch. And well, I, I, I pull out an well, AirPod. Yeah, but I only have one often. in. I only have one in. That That is one thing that I really <laughs> wish that they would do better is to al- allow you settings to, to basically have, to basically have a setting that you just turn on. It's like, I'm just using one. Yeah. And just treat it like, both of them essentially. And so, so when, when you I put take it back it out, in, then pause. And when I put just the one back in, start playing. Now that's a setting I could get on board with. Philip Eberhard 2020 AirPods. 
What do we think about all these rumors around a potential? I don't even know what what to call it exactly, but Apple Video. There's all these rumors about Apple. Well, it's it's not going to be rumors for long, right? Because they're clearly they're buying up uh, content like nobody's business, spending bukus of money on developing their own video service and getting original content. Um, I have a lot of questions around this personally. I, I like some of the content deals they're, they're doing. Uh, I know recently um, Aaron Paul signed on for a show that they're developing and listen, you'd be hard pressed to find a bigger Aaron Paul fan than, than this guy here. So I'm, I'm all on board with wanting to watch that show. Uh, but my biggest challenge with, with this is how do they price it to where I would even consider adding, I guess this would be a fourth, uh, video streaming service that I'm paying for already onto. And I guess it's kind of like a fifth if you somewhat count, Apple music. Cause technically they do have some video in there, but that's a whole other story. What is it going to take for me to, to decide? Yeah, this would be worth it. And what does a potential Apple video service even look like? Is it all just original content? I, it, it seems to me untenable to just have it be original content. And at the same time, it would seem so, odd to me for some reason that Apple would have just a bunch of the stuff that is available to most streaming services. The only thing that makes me think that it could be that though, is the fact that you have the iTunes store where you can buy music and you also have Apple music where you can, you know, it's a subscription service you stream and you have access to, what do they keep touting now? 40 million plus songs, or is it even higher yet? Um, so that makes me think they technically could do a service like that. That's more Netflix and Hulu ish in, in premise where, uh, you know, they obviously have access to a huge catalog of content through the iTunes store. You know, maybe they can work out the, the deals appropriately to, to have a, a more Netflix style subscription but then they're also going to have just like Netflix and, and Hulu's getting more into this now too. also have original programming. That's kind of like the big hook, but, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, what are they, what is the game here? I mean, the more I think about it, I think, I think they will have just other movies and TV shows available on their streaming service. Do you think they want to be a Netflix killer? Are they, are they like trying to go after uh, these guys? I, I think that they want a piece of that pie. I mean, I, I think they just clearly see that the money that is being spent on media, the money that's been being spent on cable is being divvied out to streaming movie services. And as they're after that sweet, sweet subscription service money, then a reliable way to get that is to have a, have a video service. Now you're a millennial, whether you want to admit it or it's true. not. I did see uh, someone on Twitter today say that whenever you say millennial, you can 
also just replace that with adults under 40. Okay, you're an adult under 40. And that's the same thing, even though it doesn't feel like the same thing, but in general. Uh, <laughs> are, you a, are you a cord cutter? Have you completely cut the cord? Not yet. Okay. And I don't know. I so don't you're know not how a millennial. Much a, I don't know how much of a special um, case I am. I mean, the main, the only reason really that we still have cable is to watch sports and not just to watch sports, but to watch sports without watching commercials and to watch sports a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I really, I mean, the main reason we still have direct TV is so that during all of the different seasons, particularly the football season that I, I can watch, I can watch a football game using my trusty 30 second skip forward button especially with a nice, nice slow offense like the Razorbacks have been. There's a full 30 seconds between every single play of the Razorbacks offense. It's probably not going to be the case with Chad Morris, and he's going to get in the way of, of getting me through a game as quickly as I have been. You'll but, get that 30 back 15 <laughs> little, overcast A little bit, a little bit. Um, but actually, to not spoil the play, you got to go back 15 and forward 30. Oh, so. okay, okay. Um, you learn these things as you, as you watch different, you know, cause when we play like TCU or somebody like <laughs> you gotta get good at it. Um, all, all that to be said that I can, I can watch a, a full football game in like 45 minutes, an hour tops using, I mean, skipping all that, skipping halftime, skipping commercials. And my wife has no interest in watching games with me. She does not really get into sports at all. And I mean, we've always got other stuff going on. And my option would be to, I I could still, I mean, using different relatives, you know, uh, cable logins, I could still get, you know, get to watch them through watch ESPN or, or whatnot. But the problem that I have with watch ESPN is that you're watching the full three hours and you can only start watching the full three hours once it's completely finished. And and what I like to do a lot of times is when we say the game starts at seven, I'll wait until eight 30 to watch the game. And a lot of times, like I'll be like catching up to it right near the end of the game. Yeah. And so, so I, I spend, you know, half as much time to still see the full game. But I mean, the last thing, like I, I really, really, I don't want to know anything that happened. And so if if I let that game finish, I'm, you know, the clock starts ticking on how long it's going to be until I find out something about it. Um, well, maybe we're thinking about this the wrong way, right? Maybe, maybe Apple has the third option, which is, yes, it's going to be, you know, other content plus original content plus streaming cable, essentially. I mean, what if it's like their own YouTube TV? So there was, there was rumors of that before they came out with this new rendition of the Apple TV. I mean, rumors were actually that they didn't come out with this new rendition of the Apple TV for so long because they were trying to get all the content this, deals. Uh, to what was called a skinny bundle. Yeah. Um, I mean, essentially it's just direct TV. It's sling TV, direct TV, now, Hulu, YouTube TV, all these Hulu live TV. I mean, all these different streaming, um, it's not really, I mean, we call it streaming cable because we know what that means, but it's really just streaming TV channels. Um, 
for, for, for whatever that's worth. And I don't know. I mean, it, it'd be interesting because those rumors have very much gone away and there's no one at this point who has that I know of. I get, well, I guess Hulu is the one that has kind of streaming and the live TV yeah. bundled together. Um, and I don't, I don't know what their financials look like and how, how good of a business that's turning out to be, but that would definitely be an interesting, interesting way to go. I, I do think though, and that's a vastly different pricing model too. Oh, certainly. Because, <laughs> you know, it's going to be a mu- much higher per month if you have that, that, you know, streaming cable bundle option than if you just had something more like Netflix, which maxes out at what, like 15, 15 a month if you're doing the, the premium. Um, that would be a much, much bigger ask, but you'd be getting, getting more. But you could certainly have tiers of it. I mean, you could yeah. just like, like Hulu does when you, can just pay for streaming or you can pay for streaming without ads. Mm-hmm. This was one of their tiers. I'm still in that seven ninety nine man. So, I mean, just to state where I'm at. So we have Netflix through my dad's. We have Netflix, but we don't pay for it. We have Hulu true millennial, like which it. is included with our, uh, sprint unlimited plan just automatically. So we have Hulu, but we don't pay for it. Okay. Still a millennial. Gotcha. And we, we have prime because we get enough stuff shipped and, and so we get the, the prime service as well. And we have, we have direct TV, um, for a pretty discounted rate. And that's for all the sports that I've mentioned. And I think that's, oh, we have, we have HBO go Mm -hmm. through my grandmother-in-law who has it. So we have her cable login for HBO and and stars to more millennial points. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. (laughs) I can't, I can't talk too much because my HBO go is also being shared from, from someone else. But yeah, I I have, I'm, I'm like in the same boat as you. I've got Netflix, which that went up as soon as I bought a 4K, you know, HDR TV because I immediately wanted the 4K, 4K HDR content, uh, which is only available on the premium plan. And so that, you know, it's like 15, 15 bucks a month. Uh, I'm still cheaping it out on Hulu, you know, $7.99 like that, like that price. And then, yeah, Amazon Prime Video as well. Uh, and then the HBO Go login. Thank you, mom. Uh, you're probably listening. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I've got all these these different services too, which just all comes together beautifully on an Apple TV. But I don't know. I'm conflicted. I'm like, I, I don't know what, what they'd have to price it really competitively for me to be willing to add one more thing on top. Now I am an Apple music subscriber. So that's, that's 10 bucks a month. Cause I'm not claiming to be a student. Um, Hey, <laughs> My wife actually is a student. Oh yeah, at this yeah, point. yeah. Okay, gotcha. so, yeah. And they won't let you get too far because you have to, you have to re-verify annually um, to the Apple student prices. So you can only get, you know, at most a year out from not being a student. Or when I had a faculty address, it worked for me, so I used that. So if there's some way they can say, "Hey, you're already an Apple Music subscriber. Why don't you just add five bucks, and you can." you know, throw in our Apple video subscription 
Uh, also, you can be a family uh, plan subscription for Apple Music. That would probably be more appealing than than the video to me. But I don't know what do, what do you think this is going to look like. It's I, all speculation. But I think they'll definitely bundle it with Apple Music in some way or another. I think there'll just be some sort of discount. Maybe throw in a, uh, iCloud storage. I just Maybe, want the whole kitchen sink. The, the only reason I think they would throw in iCloud storage is because. It just seems like that's the only decently good reason they could have for still having the same tiers of iCloud storage that they do, um, especially that same free tier of just just five gigabytes. Still rocking that five gig life. So we'll see. I, I mean, I do think, though, if you really just go off of just how Apple prices things, and how it's just always more expensive than what it should be and what anyone else it'll be a buck fifty nine is is, <laughs> is is charging then then they would have ten dollars for Apple music, and then they would probably have ten separate dollars for the video service, and they would just leave iCloud storage allotments alone mm-hmm. What would be compelling to me would be if it is, hey, all this, you know, iTunes store content, a lot of it is part of this. Like we're pulling some of this stuff in. Oh, and it's in 4K HDR. You can stream it right from your Apple TV. Uh, Depending on how vast that catalog is, I could see it being something where I'm like, all right, well, maybe I'm going to do this for a few months and not do Netflix until stranger things uh, volume three comes out, you know, I could, I could see me maybe bouncing around a little bit. Uh, but the big draw for me would be, you know, what's, what does the catalog of 4k HDR content look like? Is it just, you know, exclusive content that they're making, or is it also going to dip into, you know, some other content that they already have in the, the iTunes store. I could see me maybe, you know, streaming around a little bit. That, that could set them apart because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that almost all the 4K content on Netflix is Netflix original. Yeah, stuff, mostly for, for the, the most for the part. most part. Yeah, same thing with Amazon Prime. I mean, most of their yeah, and in fact, I mean, but all of their originals, all the originals for all the different streaming services, I believe, are all 4K. But just however those different contracts work out, very little, if any, of the other stuff is is 4K. And so, I mean, if, if Apple, um, who's obviously been working with, with those providers longer than anybody else with their, with their iTunes store, um, and obviously went through a whole lot to get as much 4k content as they have available for sale on the, on the iTunes store. I mean, if they could work out streaming, um, a lot more 4k content, that could definitely be a draw. That's, that's the life I want to live, Philip. All right, got a lot of beta news here. You're going to love this one. And I'm kind of curious. I I don't know how crazy I think you are. So I don't know if this has actually happened yet. I'm interested to find out. But uh, Raise to Siri is now working with WatchOS 5 beta. Have you have you dove into the deep end of beta land with WatchOS 5? I haven't dove okay. into the WatchOS <laughs> I'll watch OS beta yet. Um, part of that is that I'm still on the, the public beta 
And so public beta two came out today and I upgraded to that. And I mean, I'm meaning to at, at some point pretty soon to get on the developer beta and, and probably go into the, into the watch OS beta. I'll, I'll see how, I'll see how this new one is working. And if there are just any, um, ridiculous bugs that need to keep me away. I did find it interesting though. So I read a little bit about now that, now that Ray's, um, Ray's Siri, as they call it, has actually been released. I read, um, an account particularly on, uh, the loop where it, it really, so I, I, I pictured it as just, you talk to Siri after you look at your watch and it comes on and shows you the time and how it's being described is actually that it's more that you're speaking into. So the, the Apple insider link that you included in our show notes actually talked about speaking into the watch. And I actually, I, I, I take that back that that is what's in the copy for the, for the setting for the raise to Siri setting. So now you can just raise your watch and, and when you raise it to speak into the watch, you don't have to say, hey, Siri. And so it's a little more intimate than maybe you were thinking it was going to be. Well, so yeah. So it's not just that you turn your wrist to see it and now you can start talking to Siri, but that you actually have to bring it up to towards your mouth. And now you can start talking to Siri. Which that makes a little more sense. A little more. I mean, it's probably not what you wanted. It's not, it's not really what I wanted. And <laughs> And I don't know, but it makes more sense of how it could possibly be yes. more effective. Yes, and not and not just you know be be tripping over itself and accidentally coming on. And um, so I mean, I think that'll be that'll be interesting to to try. I I don't know. I don't know how much I'll use that. Um, hey, Dave Mark says so far it's worked flawlessly. This is good. Him. This is good. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to trying it. Hopefully, and your watchOS five beta works flawlessly. <laughs> I, I hope so. I, I don't. I don't depend on my watch to any incredible extent. Um, so, I, I wouldn't have a huge problem if it was a little buggy. You mentioned beta two is now available. iOS twelve public beta. Public beta two. I'm on beta, beta three, three on the developer same, beta. Same code. Yeah. Um, one thing. I've got a link here that talks about all the new stuff in it, which most of it is cosmetic little details. Uh, one cosmetic thing. Well, it's kind of cosmetic. One thing though, I have noticed that I've really liked is the verbiage on the lock screen. When you, um, when you raise to unlock with face ID, uh, and if it doesn't work, you know, for whatever reason, if it, if it goofs up that first time, they've changed the copy that you see after that, uh, basically saying, you know, either enter your passcode or swipe up to use face ID. So if you swipe up, it will try and engage face ID again, instead of having to either lock the phone and, you know, try that whole process over again, which is one of, one of the main fussy things about face ID is when it doesn't work, you know, it's kind of awkward to re-engage it, but they've, they're making some slight changes there. Uh, to make that second attempt a little easier. I like that. But the biggest change in this new beta uh, release is GPS is now working. I Last uh, a week ago, Saturday, I was trying to go to a restaurant I hadn't been to, which is very close to my house, but I hadn't been to it. So I just didn't, I didn't know exactly where it was, but I knew it was 
in between these two blocks, you know? And, uh, so I was like, I'll just put it into Google maps and it will take me on my way. And boy, it did not. <laughs> it was like, at first for, for, it thought I was walking for, for one, which that may have been user error. But even once I did fix that, it just had no idea which way was up and which way was down. It was, it was craziness, just, just madness. So GPS is working now in the, the third beta, uh, the second beta release for, for public beta. So if you're out there thinking about jumping on board into beta land, I know GPS can be a big, one of those big things that you want to be working correctly. Uh, it seems to be working much better now. They have not fixed the bug where if you're not showing the iMessage app store and you swipe the keyboard down, it just pops right back. It's still uh, showing it. You know, you, you know you're going to like it. I hate it. <laughs> I did uh, I did today go to, to send a photo. Go to send a photo hitting the camera for the first time and it was totally wacky. I did not like it. So um, I, I was totally on board with what you were saying from a few episodes back. Uh, the little messages app store shenanigans they're doing with photos now. Um, but, you know, I mean, if that's something that they are going to keep, I, I could get used to it, but it was very jarring that first time. I don't like it at all. Speaking of GPS and betas, uh, one of the big new things in this new release of of the beta, which really only affects, you know, a small population of people, well, a large population of people, but just one city essentially, or one little geographic region in uh, California is uh, this new report that maps is just being completely reimagined. If you want a really good explanation of uh, explanation of it, listen to the talk show. Uh, Cause they actually had, um, what, how do you say his last name? I always mess it up. Panzerino. Panzerino. Yeah. The good, so he was the one that got the scoop, right, for TechCrunch. Uh, John Gruber had him on. Really cool conversation, uh, diving into like some of the tech and stuff that they're doing and how, how they're differentiating. Um, I don't know, though, still. I've been so, I've been so uh, jaded with Apple Maps that I've never really fully given it another chance. I don't know about you, but I, I, I still trust Google Maps way more than anything else. And I don't know, I don't know what Apple would have to do to win my trust back. I, I've had problems with all mapping applications and I I use, I use Apple maps a lot just because that's the only thing that works with CarPlay Mm -hmm. right now. For now. So if you, if you want it on the, on the CarPlay screen, that's the only thing that will actually show on the CarPlay screen. I, I did, um, find it really interesting that one thing that either Mike or Jason mentioned, I think it was Mike on Upgrade, which is a podcast that Relay FM uh, does. And Mike was saying that he didn't know for, for maps and for, for these uh, improvements that they're making to maps by looking at people's different, um, different routes and only looking at segments of them to keep it private. So they don't look at the whole route that you take from point A to point B, but they'll look at just segments of your route and they'll combine that with anonymous 
similar segments it, from other people. When you hear that on paper, it sounds brilliant, right? Because you think, how many iPhones are there out in the world? They're really going to get some good data to feed this thing. But then the point you're getting to is that, you know, how often do you actually have maps engaged, you know, in your typical, you know, routine during the day, like you don't have it turned on when you're driving back to your house because presumably you know how to get back to your house. So that little point of, well, yeah, I really, I don't have, I'm, I'm not engaging that function very often. So it did kind of in my mind, I had this grand image of, wow, they're going to have access to so much data. That's really going to improve this application. But then when I realized how many times do I actually use a maps app when I, it's only when I'm traveling somewhere I've never been. It's not when I'm, you know, doing my normal day-to-day driving routine. Well, so I do. So when it comes to commuting, I think there's a whole lot of, of maps usage, even when you know where you're going, just, just so that you can get alerted to if there's a wreck or if there's a slowdown, if there's a better route than usual, um, because of some change in what's up ahead then you're not going to hear about that unless you're already getting directions. Yeah. And, and all, all the applications have at this point, good, good settings to where you can only get alerted for changes and it doesn't have to tell you about every single turn that you're making. Cause that's really annoying when you know where you're going and, and the GPS application continues to tell you, you know, make sure you take this turn. Um, so I, I very rarely, cause I, I most often use, um, use, GPS and, and mapping applications when I'm going to work or coming home. And I don't really want it to tell me directions. I just wanted to tell me if there's a change that changes up ahead that I need to know about. So that I take a different route. And so one thing that Mike was saying is that if they can do that, not just when people are using Apple maps, but they can look at these different segments of people's trips when they're using any navigation because, uh, you know, obviously there, there's a change in, in what the phone does when you're using navigation. Obviously, you get the blue bar at the top to immediately yeah. go back to your navigation. So obviously, there's certain things that are happening programmatically on the phone when you're, when you're navigating. And there's certain APIs that all the different navigation apps use so that they can get, you know, background um, guidance for you. And you don't, you don't have to keep the map open for it to tell you what the next turn is up ahead. And one of his points, too, was maybe that's why... Apple is is playing playing nicely with third party navigation apps now in CarPlay. Absolutely. So so obviously, I mean, CarPlay's in more and more cars as as the years go on, and there's uh, I'm sure there's a whole lot of people, especially in certain areas where it's just not even worth it to use Apple Maps, and they're using Waze or or Google Maps because they found it a lot better, and they they need it, you know, on their on their commute especially. And so if, if Apple can benefit whenever anyone's using any navigation app, that's just going to make Apple maps better sooner because they're going to get more data, better data more quickly. And, and I think, I mean, if, if they can, it, it is going to be tough. Um, and I, I wonder when they really roll out nationwide or nations wide, even with these new maps. Yeah. Cause they're just starting in, uh, just in the Bay Area. Yeah, in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for now. I, I wonder if they'll have a, a large marketing campaign because there's a whole lot of people who 
used Apple Maps a few times. Are you and especially about people like me? Especially very much in the early days when I mean it would just send you, you know, in crazy directions. And so people didn't trust it and, and stopped using it. But if that's going to change, it is it's I think it's going to require, you know, a large marketing effort mm-hmm. to to tell people, hey, things have changed in a real way. And I mean, I, I think if they can the biggest thing is if they can make changes quickly, especially in, in reaction to user feedback, because, because uh, the way that, um, Panzerino described it, um, made a lot of sense. And I, I think you can see why it would take so long for them to make maps changes is because if Apple's using third party data from Tom, Tom, like they are right now, then if they get, uh, you know, if you use the the tools they have within maps to say, hey, this is this, you know, this piece of maps is wrong and it should be changed in this way. Well, they can hear about it really quickly, but then they've got to route that to TomTom. And then TomTom is, is not just not, TomTom's not necessarily just releasing data to Apple. I mean, that's TomTom data. So TomTom's going to verify it. Yeah. And TomTom's going to make their changes Everything internally to them. twice as long so at least. So it's going to take at least twice as long, probably lo- much longer than just twice as long. And so if it's just Apple making changes, then I mean they could make changes just within days, which would be great. And I think it it would it would help you so much to pe- for people to trust the maps more and to, and to you know think that their feedback actually matters. What was really interesting to me about all of this was that this is a this is a big change. It's a big feature that they didn't announce at all during WWDC and they've just kind of I mean, it obviously they haven't snuck this into the beta, but it just kind of feels that way, right? Like they didn't announce it, no big, no big fuss at at you know their big developer conference. But oh, by the way, it's in uh, it's in beta three, uh, and we're kind of you know testing it out in this one area. Uh, I don't know, just something about that felt a little odd to me because it's a it's a huge change, and it could potentially be a a really big change for, in terms of how people you know, use maps on their, on their iPhones moving forward. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Another uh, rumor out this week. It's been a, a rumors heavy show. I like, I like it a little bit. Get out our little crystal ball here. Um, new rumors coming out that Apple is planning to include, or maybe planning to include an 18 watt USB-C charger and a lightning to USB cable in the box. Which that part, I'm still a little confused on that part because when I see the USB-C charger, my mind automatically thinks, okay, well, does this mean they're going to be going to USB-C on the phones? But the way this rumor is coming out is it's going to be USB-C to Lightning, kind of like what you can do with, with iPads today, you know, if you get the right cable um, to do that with your iPad Pros. And your your MacBook uh, MacBook Pro uh, charger, so I like where this is heading, but then I'm also a little like somewhat disappointed because I don't know. I feel like it's a half measure. I love I love where this design goes. So this rumor design is the the plug part of it. It looks like the existing five watt just little cube charger that currently comes with all iPhones, but it's about probably two and a half 
times as wide, mm-hmm. but to me, it's, it's still as tall yeah. as that little cube. It's still going to fit well. Which is still going to fit well if you want to plug two things in with one another. Cause that's a tough part to me. Um, so at my nightstand in an extension cord, I have an iPad charger that I use to charge my iPhone. And then I have my Apple watch charger that uses the, the five watt, um, little cube brick. And they just like, I can shove them in there together, but I don't feel great about it because they like budge up against each other and it's not just a clean plug in. Um, and I, I would really, I mean, that to me would be a great design um, that they have shown in this, in this prototype because it, it keeps the small size that uh, I, people love about the, the little five watt charging adapter, but because really a wider, a wider thing to plug in is no problem. I mean, there's nothing, never, I mean, all the time do I have a problem plugging two things in together. I mean, whether it's a big old, you know, wall wart, you know, large kind of, um, you know, large adapter, um, like some things have that, you know, like the iPad, a little like the iPad. Little, I mean, you know, they, they, they've miniaturized the iPad and if you plug it in one way, then you can usually fit something underneath it. It, it kind of reminds me of this, uh, power adapter that we have, uh, that we use for this zoom recorder that we record bit. the podcast on yeah. a little bit similar. So to me, I mean, if you become wider, you know, if you think about a, a an outlet at the wall, if something is really wide, but not any more tall, it's not going to get in the way of anything. Yeah. I mean, you're going to leave that other outlet just totally open for whatever needs to plug into it. So I, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be really, really happy to see this. And I guess in theory too, you'd be able to use these to charge your iPads as well. Oh, absolutely. And and faster, you know, or not, not necessarily faster, but they would be about the same as using the the current iPad chargers. They wouldn't be. Oh, they'd be faster than that. A little I mean, bit. The current, aren't they 12 watt? They're 12 watt. Okay. I believe. Yeah. So it would be a little faster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 18 watt. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited about, about this. I do hope that it comes standard in the box and that it's not like another accessory that you have to buy. I could totally see that happening and that would be frustrating because, um, I mean, I think the iPhone 10, it obviously it does support fast charging now. Um, so I think the idea here is, Hey, you're going to have these cables in the box that allow for fast charging and all of our devices are going to keep moving, you know, onto that train. And then if you want to get a, you know, a wireless charger that's, you know, for something that you just use overnight, that's going to obviously be slower, but you can do, you get the best of both worlds. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about it too. And, and then just having that versatility to use it on your iPad as well. And, um, and it's all just coming with your, with your phone, hopefully. But my bigger question is, Someday, is it going to be USB-C to USB-C on the cable? I don't think so. I want to live in that world, Philip. I think there are advantages enough to lightning. And there's already a really large lightning ecosystem. Don't give me this 30-pin argument. That was the same thing back then. You know, you had this huge 30-pin ecosystem. And that's, you know, that's what people were freaking out about back when you first got lighting, which was that, was that iPhone five? Yes. Yeah. Biggest difference there though, going from 30 pin to lightning is that 
Lightning is so freaking clearly a better connector than the 30-pin connector in so many ways. But your argument is Lightning or USB-C is not better or not that much better than what we currently have. I, I think that I think Lightning is better. Now, USB-C is obviously much closer than the 30-pin connector to being better. And there, there would be some advantages to just having a whole bunch of USB-C to USB-C cables and and that's that but i i I think they'll keep lightning a little bit longer at least for the foreseeable future all right are you ready (laughs) i'll never be ready i know right i don't even know i don't even know where to begin so we're we're gonna get into topic of the show for this week which we promised last week philip had an assignment which was to finish you were halfway through episode eight of Westworld, right? So you had, you know, you had to finish that episode, which, oh boy, that that's an episode right there all in itself, but we'll get into that. And then you had to watch nine and 10 before uh, we came in this week because we wanted to discuss um, kind of Westworld in total, not just season two, because I feel like some of the things, as we talk about season two, we're naturally going to talk about some of the things in season one, because it is such an, you know, interconnected mass conspiracy web of craziness. Um, so it ends up being so full spoilers for the next however long we do the podcast, because we don't plan on talking about really anything after this. This is going to be our last, uh, last hoorah yes. for, the, for the night. So definitely encourage you to use the timestamps that Levi has so um, very nicely put in the show notes. Once I figured out how to do it. <laughs> If we if we end up talking about something um, toward the end that's it's it's different for some reason, um, we'll we'll put a timestamp after this. But there probably won't be a timestamp after this one because the rest of the show will be Westworld and us just trying to figure out what what happened. Okay, so how how far back do we start? Do we just go back to season one and kind of like generally recap? Like I don't even know where to begin because season two was so crazy. I almost feel like the best way to approach it is just as like start talking about like things that we know to be true. Or that we, we think to or that be we true. think that are true. <laughs> okay. I I just <laughs> I felt like I mean to their credit they, you were a little soft on season two at the beginning. I feel like in conversations we were having, it felt like the start of season two was a little not like you weren't liking it or weren't enjoying it, but it, I kind of got the vibe from you that maybe it was like a little bit slower than you expected, or you were just there was some sense of a, a little bit of frustration in those first maybe two or three episodes. I felt like it was a little slow to begin with. And in, in, in some ways, like they would, I mean, it seemed like, and I expected them to not waste this, but it seemed like they were just throwing just all sorts of spaghetti at the wall Yeah, and that they were going to, you know, organize it and tell you all about it later. And it would, it would make some more sense. So but. I went back and I, I watched half of the first episode of season two. Um, this past week, I, I was I'm I'm so I'm gonna rewatch the season, um, but I was watch I was rewatching the first thirty minutes or so, 
of the first episode. And boy, oh boy, it was a wildly different experience because of what, you know, what we're going to end up talking about in a little bit here, because everything you think you, you knew or you were experiencing at the start of the season has a whole new connotation. Once you get to the end and you realize that not everything was (laughs) obviously as it, as it seemed right. Um, and you know, a certain character isn't really that character anymore. It's just a whole different spin on it. That was the, I mean, that was one of the craziest parts was that. So one of the things that Lisa Joy talked about in this extra for episode eight was that Akacheta, the male Indian character, when he finally finds, who's the female's Kohana name? Kohana. Um, You're talking about like down in cold storage. Yes. Yeah, so when he finds her in cold storage, then he realizes what happens to them, you know, and sees all these other, you know, people, not, not just Kohana, but that what he eventually decides and, you know, finds to be true is that people are not their bodies, that they are really kind of their programming. Right. And then yeah. like that, that's what he loved about her was her programming, you know, not that that's the person that she was, was this programming. And so he kind of had this hope that, okay, well, yeah, they got her body in cold storage, but her programming has to be somewhere. And, and so she can still live on. And to me, like, this is the ultimate version of that is that Dolores's programming is now not just Evan in Evan Rachel Wood. Right. But it's in, uh, Who's the actress that plays uh, Charlotte Hale? Uh, Tessa, Tessa Thompson. Thompson. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's kind of like the ultimate, uh, just total, just kind of turn on its head sort of thing. Well, and I'm glad you brought up like that, that episode or episode eight, like in the, to me, what season two does so, so well. And, and I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but season one is such a, it's kind of like a perfect season of television, right? I mean, it's just this self-contained, like they could have never had another season and it would have been a great, a great season of television, right? It was this perfect little, Hey, people come to the park. Uh, this is what this is, right? You get, you've got your hosts and, and you know, people come here and they just, they live their craziest lives or whatever. They, they find out who they really are in this place. Um, but then you've got this whole backstory about the creators and how one of them thought that, you know, they were becoming, you know, that they had consciousness or they were becoming self-aware and he wanted to pursue that. And the other creator didn't. And there's this whole crazy backstory that happens, what, 30 some odd years before the point of the story that you're, you're witnessing as, you know, as that, that timeline's happening. Of course, you come to find out there was another timeline happening in the season as well. But I felt like it was such a perfectly contained little season. And uh, it gets wrapped up in this crazy bow at the end <laughs> that then, you know, sets up what season two would be. But my favorite thing about season two is that it just expands the lore of the show, right? Like you have this great season one where you get you know, you, you, there's a lot of questions and you get some answers and you feel pretty good about where it ends. I mean, like, it, it, like I said, it couldn't, it could have never had another episode and I would have been okay with that. But season two is like, 
full on. No, we're diving in to all the the mythos of of this world, and we're going to expand everything that you thought you knew. And a perfect example of that to me is the Ghost Nation and these characters that you just the whole you know first season you think are just these crazy um, programmed uh, you know like almost like a security force or something in the park that you just, you don't really know what to think of them. They're just, and they seem to be kind of off their programming a little bit. Cause towards the end of season one, you know, they, they seemingly attack stubs. Um, but there's so much more than that, that you just had no idea they were going to do that. And then in that one episode in episode eight, uh, you, you just think, Oh, it's just Dolores that, you know, did the maze and, and became self-aware and, and she's leading this, this, this whole revolution or whatever, but no, no, no. Like from the very beginning too, almost a catch he finds the maze too during the, probably one of the, the like inciting incident of the whole series, right. Is, is when the, the Wyatt storyline, you know, kills, um, it's, it's not Bernard, it's Arnold at that point. Right. And so it just, that like to me was a huge spin of what the show was because you thought you knew so much about these characters and, and who the big players were. And then all of a sudden the ghost nation becomes this hugely important, uh, pack in, in the story late in season two and just reframed like all these things I thought I knew about what the show was and where it was going. And then you know, you get to episode 10 and you get to the moment you're talking about with, uh, you know, Dolores not being Dolores anymore, but still, you know, still Dolores, but in a different body and just how that changes everything you'd seen up until that point. Because now if you go back and rewatch season two, you're going to be, everything's going to be different rewatching it again, because and we talked about this some last week too, right? Season one has these two timelines going on that, you know, some people pick up on early. Some people didn't. You mentioned how like you didn't realize until they revealed it that, you know, William and the man in black were the same person 30 years apart, roughly. I love shows that play around with timelines like this. Like I love, you know, Lost was obviously big into that. Fringe gets in into some of that too. And these are some of my like favorite shows, right? Um, even breaking bad to a degree, right? In the later seasons, they start doing these teases that are at some point in the future. You don't know exactly how far, although they do kind of start to frame things where, you know, it's about a year ahead of where the story is now. So I love stories that play with this device, right? Of, of playing around with different timelines and, and I feel like obviously the creators of Westworld like doing that too, because that was a big part of season one. And then they, they bring it into season two. It's just in a different way, right? Where it's like a two week span, roughly of this whole season is happening over a course of two weeks, but the whole way they're showing you, they just keep interspersing between those two weeks. And so at certain parts, you're two weeks in the future. And then other parts of the same episode, you're, you know, like just a day past the, the last events of, of season one. Um, and that's fun to me. Like I enjoy that, but this was just so much more confusing to me because, and obviously they did this intentionally, but 
once you it all comes to a head in season or in episode 10 and you get this point of okay like this is what happened and this was all contrived like you know bernard did all of this was intentional all of these problems he was having uh throughout the the season with you know memory loss and all this stuff like all of once you, once you realize that that was all intentional and that Basically, from every moment that he's found on the beach, anytime you see Charlotte Hell, that is not Charlotte Hell. Like I feel like I instantly have to rewatch the season to really get a grasp of just how layered and intricate everything was. When does Tessa Thompson as Dolores kill Tessa Thompson as Charlotte Hale? Yeah, so I think that happens. I don't I don't know exactly how many days go by before they before that event happens and before they find him on the beach. But I think it's like I think it's several days because um and, and they kind of drop hints throughout the episodes to to kind of give you these references of how long it's been since the the uprising started. And I want to say that maybe it's only like 3 or 4 days since the uprising where they actually get to you know the i forget the name of the you know whatever they're calling it the where they go down into the um it's like a big the big where all the data is i don't i don't remember oh, what they the call cradle it. is that what, yeah okay when they get to the cradle where the backups are and yeah so when they get to the cradle um i feel like that's only been maybe 4 days since you know Dolores shot and killed um I'm blanking on his name now. Uh, what's Anthony Hopkins' name? Oh, uh, Robert Ford. Yeah. So that's only a few, you know, maybe three or four days since Dolores killed Ford. Uh, so her and uh, Bernard get down there. Bernard, you know, sees what's what she's trying to do. He obviously has his disagreements with that, and he stops her and whatnot. Um, and then he comes back out, he goes and, and catches back up with, um, Elsie and Charlotte hell and all them. And then, you know, Elsie's not trusting him. She, you know, freezes him and whatnot, but he sees Charlotte kill Elsie. And I think it's, I don't know. You, you don't, you don't get an exact idea here, but I still think it's probably, even a couple more days after that, because it's got to take some time for him to create a new body, right? For, for Dolores. Yeah. That's got to take some time. Like that can't just happen instantly. Right. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell exactly how many, how many days it took, but just like little things they dropped here and there. And I mean, I'm sure this is all laid out somewhere that we could find it, but just given my first run through of, of this, the season, that's kind of my impression is three to four days after Ford is shot, they're in the cradle. Uh, Bernard stops Dolores, takes her, you know, her chestnut or whatever they're calling these things. Um, uh, he goes back up and, you know, he sees Elsie killed. He decides that ultimately he, you know, kind of changes his mind on, on where he stands on things, which that, that in itself is like, I'm still not really sure exactly where he stands on things, but I can kind of understand why Elsie being murdered was like, 
you know, the last straw for him. Um, so he builds the, the Charlotte double puts Dolores in there. Dolores kills Charlotte. I don't know how many days, you know, transpire exactly between then and, and when he gets found on the beach, but, but in the first episode, when the, you know, like when the main uh, Delos guys get there, um, they say it's been, I think like 14 days since it's happened. So, I mean, there's definitely Mm -hmm. a pretty big span of time uh, in between, which, you know, what was Dolores slash Charlotte doing during all the, I mean, there's so much we didn't see. I really wonder about that. And obviously, I mean, you, you can't show that because of the payoff at the end. Yeah. But just going back. So like everything after he wakes up on the beach though, she is Charlotte. Right. And she's gone at that point. Right. No, because no, because she walks up. Okay. Yeah. She's there. She's, she goes down into the cradle with them, you know, again, Mm -hmm. um, she's there when they find all the other Bernards, which, you know, that episode, I think it's episode four or something or somewhere right. around there where they know that's episode six. Okay. Yeah. Six. Cause that was a crazy episode. Right. So that's, you know, at the beginning of the episode, what a cold open, right? <laughs> they, they go to Ford's like old, uh, you know, recreated home, yeah. his private little place uh, where they, in season one, where they killed um, that other woman. I can't think of her name where Bernard kills her. Um, so they go there, but that's Dolores at that time. So, like when you were watching that episode the first time you're thinking, Oh gosh, Bernard, Bernard is so screwed now. Like the cat's out of the bag. Like they know, they know what's going on. Right. Like they know that he's a host, but all of that was part of their plan too. You know? So it's like everything that you think you understood as you were watching this, this season, it just all gets flipped on its head when you get to the end of, of episode 10 and realize, Oh no, like, this was all part of their crazy plan. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm, really, <laughs> I'm really bad at, I mean, you know, I'll try again season three, but man, I'm really bad at following timelines. And well, just, and this, this was, this was especially difficult it, at the same time though. So I just clicked in my head as we're, as we're sitting here talking about it, that ever Rachel Wood Dolores and Bernard go to, I don't know if that's called the cradle. Um, yeah, the cradle is where they, where all the hosts backup are that they blow up in like what I think episode six or right. episode seven, but this like where they go at the end. I don't, I don't think it is. It's the forge. That's the where forge. they go. Yeah. Okay. So the forge, um, where he kills Dolores. and the forge is where all the guest data is. And it's that's also right. where they're able to open the door. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's where they use Abernathy's. Encryption key. Encryption key. Yeah. And and so that's where that's where Bernard is getting in the elevator to go back up. And the man in black is coming back down. Well, okay. So But not at the same time. Obviously. On yeah. totally different timelines. Obviously not at the same time there. Yeah. So they okay, so let's let's talk. Well, I don't know. Do you want to do you want to talk some more about like this the just like the the big story and save that little post credit save we got to save the post credit okay we gotta, yeah but yeah we got to come back to that because yes that absolutely that is another place where they're obviously playing with some crazy timeline stuff there that makes you think 
you know, it's, oh, this just happened, but kind of find out. No, right. So I told you at one point, I guess it was like episode six, right? I think, which a lot of stuff happens in that episode. You got the cold open where they discover Bernard's a host, which, you know, like we said now was all of that was kind of planned. Right. But, um, that's at the end of the episode is when, uh, he goes into, they go to the cradle, he plugs directly in and he finds that Ford is, is in, he's like the ghost in the system, right? They, mm-hmm. he find, they find Ford. He's still, you know, his consciousness is still alive in the system. You know, obviously his body is dead, but he is, he is still alive in the system. Um, so that's kind of, that's like a big reveal. Right. And then in episode four is when they have the whole thing with Jim Delos and with young William, where you've, you've come to realize that the project that William is working on, um, and, and you know, kind of the, the thing that the way he was able to, well, I don't know, like his plan was to capture all this guest data, right? That's kind of how he mm-hmm. sold it to Delos. But ultimately, like the product they were trying to come up with was essentially immortality, right? I mean, trying to find a way to use these host bodies to recreate, you know, yourself and, uh, you know, upload your consciousness. So this is all Black Mirror stuff, right? This is all mm-hmm. stuff we're pretty familiar with from from other, other uh, sci-fi things going on. Um, but the big difference, I, I feel like, with this is that it's not working, you know, like in they're very, like they very clearly show that <laughs> with, with that episode four and uh, the fidelity and all this, all this stuff that's going on in there that it's not, they're not able to figure it out. Right. For whatever reason, they can only go so many days before the uh, you know, the mind starts to turn against itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you've got that going on, right. They're showing you that they're kind of tipping their hand that, Oh, this is, this is the end game, right? We're collecting all this guest data because we want to eventually be able to, you know, use the host to create bodies for our guests or, you know, whatever they, they're going to sell this presumably. I don't know exactly what the end game was. Um, but then you've got Bernard who is, he's, he's not an exact copy, right. Of, of Arnold. Um, and the way you know he's not an exact copy is because it's working. Like he's actually able to survive and be fully functional. Whereas, you know, these, these human hosts they're trying to create, right. Couldn't survive the test. Um, so that in itself is kind of interesting to me that, you know, it comes, it all comes out that the humans couldn't figure out a way to, develop the technology or to fully test the, uh, you know, these new, um, hosts that they were trying to create from, from a guest, they couldn't figure out a way to make it work. Cause it was just, I, I don't know if they like couldn't test it enough or what. Well, I mean, when they get to the forge and they're, they're in there, or I think it's at the forge where they're, they see, um, what was his name? The, the Dallas kid's son, uh, who's in season one. Oh, um, Logan, Logan, mm-hmm. where where he's serving is kind of like, it's obviously not really Logan. It's like a pro, some program, but, um, it's just, that whole thing was interesting to me in that 
Bernard is is kind of a copy of Arnold, right? But he's only a copy in so much as he is what Dolores remembers of Arnold. And so there's this whole thing about, I don't even really know how to fully describe it or how to articulate what what's going on there that interests me, but it's like they can't, the humans can't figure it out, right? Like the humans can't make it work with like a direct copy, but these hosts, because they're so much more capable than we are, they can actually get it to work with just like a memory of us, not like a direct copy of us. I don't know where I'm going with that, but just that whole thing kind of fascinates me a little bit. And they, throughout the season, you get to sit in on these conversations with Dolores and um, you think it's Arnold, right? Because in season one, that's what was happening Mm -hmm. with these. You think it's Bernard in season one, but then later you realize those conversations are actually Dolores and Arnold 30 years in the past. So they use that knowledge to trick you into thinking because they start right with it. I mean, the very first thing you see in season two is what you think is Dolores and Arnold having a conversation 30 years prior, but come to find out it's actually, I assume it's actually Dolores and Bernard at the end of season two, those conversations. I think that's what I think it mm-hmm. is. Maybe some of it might be Dolores like doing fidelity tests on Bernard. Some of that is, I guess, well, I don't know. Like I'm so confused if it is or not, because, um, we just, we just really don't know exactly, uh, if that is when she was first helping test fidelity test Bernard, or if it's when she's created a new body for Bernard, uh, at the end of season two, it's, it's a complicated, uh, web of, of craziness that I'm, I'm not, I I just got to watch it again, but a lot happened in that last episode, right? Um, what do you think about the, they kind of, to me, it's like they set it up to be kind of Maeve versus Dolores. Like that's what it seemed like it was going to be to me early on in the season, mm-hmm. but that never really happened. Right. I mean, they have a few interactions, um, and and they kind of like just I guess like respect each other and they stay out of each other's way because Maeve's trying to find her daughter and Dolores can relate to that because she's trying to find her her father um, for different reasons. But um, I kind of felt like that's what that what the season was gonna maybe turn out to be kind of a those two because they seem like opposing viewpoints right on on what should happen, but then as the season progressed, they kind of were the same character to me in a lot of ways, because there were points where Maeve was always like, Oh, it's your choice. But then there were points where she really wasn't giving people choices. Cause she was like controlling them with, with this whole mesh network voodoo she was uh, doing on them and having them kill each other. So I don't know. It, it seemed like Maeve was going to be this clear, clean figure that she's in the right and Dolores is in the wrong, but it that whole thing got muddy to me as the season went on. And then ultimately, you know, is it who's gonna make it to season three? You know, because Maeve is presumably I mean, granted, they could all be brought back because <laughs> they're you know, their minds are still alive in the little chestnut thing, but um I don't know, like 
the way season three ends with Dolores and Bernard both off of out of Westworld, I'm kind of curious to, to know who all would be back in a season three. You got Teddy. He made it to the, <laughs> to the Valley beyond, which, okay. That's a whole other thing. Dolores. I feel like I'm talking a lot now, but I'm, just, I'm kind of stream of conscious consciousness in this thing. Dolores. She's so interesting to me the whole season because in season one, like she's, she's like the good guy, right? Like you're, you're rooting for Dolores and you're rooting for Bernard too. Like they're the characters I think you kind of latch on to and rightly so they're so connected. But in season two, I mean, she's straight up the villain. <laughs> like she, there's no doubt about it. And I think the, the point that sealed it for me with her was what she did to Teddy. You know, like he's not even really fully awake yet. And she just straight up decides like, you're not going to make, make it unless we make some wholesale changes to your personality. And that was, I don't know, that whole storyline was really interesting to me. And then ultimately how it ends with him becoming awake and realizing like, you know, she did all this and, and this isn't like, this isn't a world that he wants to be a part of. Uh, and so when you, in the beginning, the very first episode, you see that he's dead, you know, you like, you see him in, uh, you know, in the, the flooded, mm-hmm. the flooded Valley or whatever. What were you thinking though? Like at that point, were you thinking, how were you thinking this was going to end for Teddy? Cause where it did end, I don't know. Like, it's not what I was expecting. It was definitely not what I was expecting. I, I didn't know what to think. I guess kind of what I'm going with there is like, I kept thinking it was going to be this whole Maeve versus Dolores thing. And like, there were going to be casualties, you know, as a, like maybe her daughter was going to be a casualty and then, you know, she's going to get revenge and take it out on Teddy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I think where they went with it was more interesting to me in that, you know, Dolores ends up changing Teddy against his will, like straight up. He didn't want that. And like he even is aware of it as he's doing these like awful things that he starts doing. And then ultimately that's too much for him. Well, so, so Dolores is interesting in, in interested in finding her father so that she can get the encryption key yes. and just wipe out yes. <laughs> the host data well, or the guest data. I don't know. Or both. Well, so they do wipe out the host backups, right? That happens, you know, episode six or seven, Mm -hmm. somewhere in there. Um, And I think, like, I think that she wants to do that because she doesn't want them to ever have, like, a backup plan for them, right? Mm -hmm. Like, to be able to access them again and keep doing horrible things to them, right? So that's why they blow that up. Um, I don't know what her plan was with the guest data. Like... I think the real reason she went down the, to the forge was that she wanted to erase the, she wanted to destroy the Valley beyond. Like she didn't want them to have that because it, to her, it was just another created, you know, prison. Like it, yeah, it wasn't freedom to her, but like to everybody else that were trying to get there. Yeah. That was like their freedom. Right. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> none of this really makes any sense to me, I guess. I mean, like the Valley beyond, like this, this green green place. Yeah, where you walk through. Well, and the other reason she wanted to get to the guest data was she wanted to consume it. 
she wanted to to go in there and study it and be able to use that as a weapon against humanity, like to be able to to like learn about humans and figure out how they operate and how they think and mm-hmm. you know so that she can face them once she gets out or you know and whoever she's taking with her. That was the way I read that was she wanted mm-hmm. to access the guest data and I mean they, that she gets in there she goes to that library which was a great way to kind of illustrate <laughs> you know, that in a, in, like yeah. a, in a program sense. Um, and she just, she didn't even read all of it. She just says, I've, I've seen enough. <laughs> I guess it was all pretty similar. Um, which is another point that they hit on really hard in that, that part in, in episode 10 is that they basically talk about, they were, the reason it wasn't working where they couldn't even get, a you know, a replicated person initially was because they were trying to make it too complex. And once they simplified it down to, I can't remember exactly how many lines of code he said, um, but once they really simplified it and kind of found each person's cornerstone event, kind of like what they do with the the hosts, that it was much simpler to to recreate them. But ultimately, they couldn't ever get it to work outside of the of the forge, right? Like actually in. I thought that's where they were like really going to press into that side of it. Right. Of like, that was the whole point of why Delos bought it. Right. They wanted to be able to make humans immortal. And so when you get that early taste in episode four, like I just thought that's where this is going. Right. And then ultimately like they don't really get there because like it didn't work, you know? And so that has me really confused on like where they're going next because I thought I knew where things were starting to go, but ultimately that stuff didn't really pan out. And, you know, they end up flooding all of you know, and, and destroying all that guest data by the end. Right. Um, but then you get, <laughs> you get the, the post-credit tease, um, which I guess now is a, a good time to, to talk about that since we're kind of like on this whole point of they couldn't get this consciousness thing to work in host bodies. But then we get this post-credit tease, which we think, you know, the man in black is going down the same elevator that Bernard just came up, right? Like that's how they, that's how they make you think it's working. Right. But Mm -hmm. then he gets down there and you can tell just visually like, it, it there's been some time that's passed because everything looks different and looks kind of older, you know, just more aged. And then the other, the other tell is that his daughter is there, which obviously she can't really be there because he kills her in, in, in episode nine, which need to have a separate conversation about William uh, after, after this, but that post-credit tease was just a whole other, like, Hey, we've stirred your mind as much as we can with the regular season two, let's just throw in this other little, this other little taste to just confuse you even further. Um, the creators have since come out and said that that is, they don't say exactly how far in the future, but they say that's, it's not the near future. Like it's, it's pretty far in the future, which raises so many questions of, what what is this supposed to tell us about like where the show is going? Is it just like a little tease of, Hey, this is the ultimate fate we have for William to just put him in like this, this state of purgatory or something where we're just going to constantly, uh, 
maybe it's some crazy elaborate trap that f- way future Dolores has created for him to punish him for the rest of his life. I don't, or, you know, like, like, like the hosts were treated. That's kind of where I'm going with it because, because it was a post credits tease. I just feel like, I don't know how much it's really going to play into the main story anytime soon. I kind of read it as, Hey, uh, we've got some really terrible things planned for the man in black. Um, in the far future, we're going to do to him what he did to us, you know, over and over again for 30 years. And we're going to use a, a, you know, a host version of his daughter to just make it even worse. Um, and I think they, I think his daughter's there because we see with Dolores and Bernard that hosts are the best options to recreate these, you know, these replicant versions of, of humans because they, you know, have observed them the best. But anyway, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I didn't take it as anything that really tells us where season three is going. I don't know. How did you feel about that crazy last scene? I just, yeah, I mean, I did wonder kind of like timeline wise, how far in the future that is, is that, I don't know, like everything that we see from the man in black during the season like, is that just all during these two weeks? I think so. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think him in season two, like in the 10 episodes, mm-hmm. I think that's really the man in black. Now, obviously he's having doubts about it because <laughs> in episode yeah. 10, we find him like digging into his arm. Like even he is kind of, I think just the trauma of, of accidentally killing his real daughter, uh, sent him over the edge Mm -hmm. but i read that as that's all really him and at the very end of the episode he is they find you like they show him on the beach right like he's been found and he i mean he looks in pretty bad shape but he obviously to me they find him take him to the beach him going down the elevator is something that's happening Years and years in the future trial. That's how I read it. Yeah. Um, And particularly after what I can't remember her, the, the one of the creators names, Um, Lisa joy, Lisa joy. Yeah. I mean, she's immediately came out in an interview after the episode saying that, yeah, that's, that's not in a near uh, timeline. Yeah. Which again, just, I feel, I feel like season two was so complicated in the way that they were layering the story between these. I mean, it's just two weeks, right? But they keep jumping back and forth. Yeah. Um, And what makes it more confusing than even the way they did it in the first season is that everyone looks this exactly the same. Obviously in the first season. Yeah. Dolores and Bernard slash Arnold, they all look the same because Bernard and Dolores are hosts and they don't change. Right. But there were visual cues in season one where she was always wearing a certain outfit 30 years earlier versus, you know, when they were having these sessions together, you could tell by the outfits ultimately, Oh, this was happening 30 years before this is happening now. Mm -hmm. But with this, there's nothing like that to really tip you off. Until ultimately, you know that at this point, you know, he formulated this plan, he brought her back, and then everything from the beach on is not Charlotte Hell, it's it's Dolores. 
But that's all that's gonna have to take a second viewing to really understand how all that's playing out and how much of it was part of the plan versus you know, and then we haven't even really talked about Ford <laughs> that much either. He, you know, he gets a, a nice little role to play in uh in this season too. And and I I was so glad that they were able to do that. Like I, f- I felt like as soon as you saw Jim Delos in episode four and you know, these fidelity tests, I instantly started to think we're going to see Ford again because, but I thought we would actually like see him in a new body or maybe not his own body. Maybe it would be like a Dolores Charlotte situation. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I saw Jim Delos, I was like, we're going to see Anthony flipping Hopkins again, even though he, he lied so much the last two years saying, Oh no, I'm not going to be in season two at all. You know, like, um, I just knew as soon as, as soon as that episode four happened, we're going to see him again. I didn't think it was going to be in the system, which that made more sense. Right. And then he, he's such a confusing character to me still too, because I still don't really know where his loyalties lie after this season. I mean, it seems like he's wanting to help the hosts obviously, you know, become who they're supposed to be, but the ways he goes about it, it's kind of like the conversation we had about Dolores and Maeve earlier is like, they, they're all about giving the host choice and freedom, but then they do things that are so counter to it. Cause like he wants, he wants Bernard to have free will, but he tells him in that uh, sixth or seventh episode, like the only way you're going to be able to have free will is if I take it from you right now. <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> such a, such a mind twist, right? Like yeah. all these themes that are going on. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately Bernard erases him from within him, but does that, that mean he's not still in the system? I don't know. I mean, the whole system gets the, the forge gets, well, I don't think he was in the forge, but he was in the, the cradle, right? That gets blown up. So I don't know. Is Ford really gone? Like, are we ever, well, Bernard conveys that he is. Because yeah. Cause he says the end, that was all imagined. He was just imagining yeah. him because he had already deleted him. From, from his consciousness, so... Which, all of that happened so fast. Like, I wish they could have... The That last episode's so packed, right? Mm-hmm. I wish... There was a point where that all that started to happen, right? Like, when they're down in the forge, and you realize that Charlotte is Dolores, and all that stuff. Like, I just wish that could have played out a little more slowly, because you're trying to process all of this stuff happening, and then... All of that just bam, bam, bam happened so fast. And even like him talking with Ford on the beach and all of that. Like, I just wish they could have maybe sped up the first half of the episode so that they could spend a little more time with these big revelations and like really lay it out. But that's probably my only like one of my gripes about the the last episode is it just came at you so fast there at the end. Yeah, I do feel like Maeve's foray into the samurai world. <laughs> we haven't even talked about uh, I don't Shogun really world. Understand Shogun world. I don't really understand why they had to go the, through there. Yeah. The rich reason for that. Yeah. And, and I'll have to go back to and rewatch it. Cause I was thinking about that same thing as I was like reflecting on the season. I can't remember why they had to go through there to get to where they were going. Cause ultimately they were trying to get to where her daughter was mm-hmm. right but that was in Westworld. 
So I don't know if like the parks are so interconnected that maybe the easiest way to get there was to go through the other park. I can't really remember like what the reasons were. Um, and then Lisa, is it Lee Sizemore? Is that his name? Uh, mm-hmm. the, the writer guy. That was another complaint I had about the last episode was Some, something Sizemore. Just his whole storyline and him deciding to sacrifice himself for them. It just didn't feel right to me. Like, I just didn't feel like that was really earned and that he would really like change his mind about everything so much to the point that he would like literally get himself killed. Why did he have to do that? He could have just gone and like talked to them and distracted them. I didn't understand why he had to like get himself murdered. When, when did he get killed? It's in episode 10. He's trying to buy them some time to get to the Valley. And so he lets them go. Oh, he, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, like why it, that that whole part felt weird to me like he just yeah lets himself get gunned shogun world was awesome though so then though Sh- shogun world was awesome i mean I, those I, characters i enjoyed the, shogun world the first time they go in there and they start playing the the nirvana but with the the different instruments super, super good and you realize it's all just the same characters but in a different part yeah i mean <laughs> like, it's, it's an interesting little, little story but I just don't know how it connects to anything else. Yeah. Like, why did the they have season? to go through there? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of, I mean, I can't remember exactly why they had to go there, but I think it was all about Maeve, right? And like her coming to grips with, um, you know, like what her true motives were and why she was doing what she was doing and like her seeing this other mother daughter relationship. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's some of that. And then her discovering that she has these, uh, these, crazy abilities to to make hosts do anything she wants. I mean, right. But yeah, I mean, ultimately like did they really have to, and you know, I think they just wanted to show you that there's a bigger world than just Westworld. And I could see like spinoffs, maybe somewhere down the line, like if they finished Westworld and they're like, Hey, let's do a show in Shogun world or let's do, I mean, they, they really could have some flexibility with that. And I mean, they, they technically showed you two other worlds, right? Cause I think it was Raj world where you first meet Emily Mm -hmm. who turns out to be uh, the man in black's daughter, um, which that's a, (laughs) we haven't even really talked about William all that much and what his whole purpose was this season. Um, You know, the first season he thinks that the maze is for him. Right. And it's really, that's just like a, it's, it's the mechanism for helping create consciousness in the the host. And it's not for him at all. Right. It's for the host. Mm -hmm. But he thinks it's for him. Well, and then Ford sets up this other game, supposedly for him. But what was the game? Like, I, I don't even really understand what the point of his game was. Because he, he wanted to get to the door. But it seemed to me like he wanted to... I think he wanted to destroy the guest data. I don't think he cared really anything about the Sublime or the, you know, the Valley Beyond for the host. I don't... I just don't see that him having any motives for that unless unless his goal was to get there himself. But I think his motive was he wanted to destroy all the guest data because he realized, you know, throughout all of his tests with Delos that this was a bad idea. And I I don't know. I'm a little unclear on like what his motives were in the season and um, just how crazy he gets, like how all consumed he gets with it that he, ends up killing his own daughter. And I did enjoy the, his episode where you got some backstory on him and his wife and 
like that that little that that was probably the coolest preview of the the whole season i don't know if you watched any of the previews i don't watch any of the previews but man oh man the preview for episode nine it was like it was all this imagery of um like them at the party and uh like the bathtub stuff and but it's all cut over his voiceover of of what he says to her while she's asleep mm. and it's it's like really it's a really you should go, go back, back and watch, watch that. that yeah it's really yeah. pretty powerful preview um and I mean, that's like, like, that's a pretty powerful scene too, but I felt like he was going to have some redemption arc this season and that definitely did not no. happen no. by any means. And so like, to me, that's a really dark twist on the story, right? They were very heavy handed with like their views on humanity in, in that last episode. I mean, they like the way they talk about, Oh, we're just really simple creatures and mm-hmm. um, we're very predictable and you know, like we don't really change, but yet the hosts can change their core directives and just like all of that stuff going on, all those big themes I thought were one They're I mean, yeah, it's, it's some black mirror stuff, right? It, it's heavy, but I don't know. It was just really depressing <laughs> because like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're really, they keep reinforcing the things they're saying by, I mean, William's a perfect example. Like they, he's so consumed with, you know, wanting to, to finish this game for whatever reason. I mean, he, he kind of says at the end, right. And in the post-credit scenes, like he wanted to know that, uh, he had a choice, right. Like Mm -hmm. he had free will, like that, that's his drive, right. I guess. But I mean, ultimately I feel like they kind of say that no there is no free will for at least not for the humans um which that's a whole other dark basket to to open <laughs> we don't have enough time to dive into that 42 at night so you were a little soft on the first few episodes how did you feel once you got to the end and you've i mean obviously we're still processing i think this last 30 minutes of discussion is proof that we're still processing this really layered show, but where, where are you at now as opposed to, you know, watching the first two or three episodes? I really, I really enjoyed it. I did too. I, I felt like it had a really big challenge ahead of itself after that first season, but it told such a different story. And, and like I said earlier, what I love most about the season was they just, they took all the, lore you thought you kind of had a grasp on and then they just a lot of it they just made it deeper and more complex and richer and all this stuff but some of it they just completely turned on its head and you know made you rethink anything you thought you knew about certain characters and, and stuff like that so that's what I appreciated most about it was that it just got so much deeper and expanded the the universe so much I mean, it's kind of like a season two of Lost type situation, right? But man, I don't know. I don't know what's next. And I, you kind of could, at the end of season one, you're like, okay, I see where this is going. Obviously, <laughs> like this uprising, right? Mm-hmm. But man, I don't know what's going on next. And they're clearly off Westworld. Will they go back at all? I mean, you've still got characters there that are they even going to be back in the show? Yeah. You know, like who's, who's really going to be in the show moving forward besides um, Bernard and, and, and Dolores. I don't know. I mean, uh, 
Dolores has, well, like five or six. Yeah, she grabbed some chestnuts. Chestnuts, as you say. And we assume, we assume that one of them's not Teddy because she uploaded him into, you know, the Valley Beyond, right? They show that very quickly at the end. Um, so is, is Teddy done? I, I think I missed that. Oh, yeah. No, so it, again, all that stuff at the very end just happens so fast, right? There, there's a scene of him entering the valley beyond. Um, it's clearly later because no one else is there. Mm. <laughs> like everybody else is gone and started building houses or something, I guess. Cause like he's the only one in the field, but it's hmm. the same point where everybody else entered. Um, so I, I tend to think that he's not one of them. I mean, right. Because of, of where he ends up. So step back with me to the, the valley where, Clementine hauls up into and everybody just starts meleeing each <laughs> yes. other. So she's led there by who we think is Charlotte Hale, but who's actually Dolores at that point. Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah, you do, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have that right. Yeah, because yeah, she's with that tech when they realize that it's the mesh network that the Maves using. Mm-hmm. And so they decide to deploy that in Clementine to make them all kill each other, which if you think about it, I mean, it makes sense that that's Dolores because ultimately she doesn't want, she doesn't want the host to go there. Right. Because she thinks it's just another prison for them. Right. But then she does ultimately put Teddy there, which I think shows that she's changed somewhat because, you know, she realized that what she did was wrong to Teddy and that he's made more for the Valley Beyond than he is for the, the real world. So that, yeah, that's interesting too. Yeah, I'm, I feel like one of the, one of the really important spots to identify is where Tessa Thompson goes from being Charlotte Hale to being Dolores because she's still Charlotte Hale when She's with Dolores, obviously, with Dolores's father, and who's the the other guy that's there with them? So when the, when the tech guy, that's the tech guy, so that when they when they bail for the for the elevator, yeah, everything that happens, everything that happens before the cradle is destroyed, that's the real Charlotte Hill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the cradle gets destroyed. Uh, Dolores and them leave. Cause they're going to the forge, right? They're, right. Um, that's when Charlotte kills Elsie. And I, I don't think Bernard immediately, you know, decides to, to kill her. Right. I, I think I may have said this wrong earlier. I think he, he witnesses that. And then I think he makes the decision that he needs to go to the forge and try and stop Dolores. Or I don't know exactly what his plan was, right? Um, well, he's 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 going with Dolores there. Once they right? connect, I mean, yeah. they're not together at first. They don't leave, you know, and so there all, and go so together. So all the places he goes with Elsie are before that. Yeah. I guess that, that's a spot I'm having trouble with because that's like almost at the very end yeah. that Charlotte Hill kills Elsie. Yeah, I'm, and maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering this too. I can't remember 
if he goes to the forge before Elsie was killed or after? I can't remember. So he, yeah. So he he's driving in the vehicle. Oh, because he leaves her. He leaves yeah. her. So he does go to the forge before she's killed. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah, I was kind of I had that wrong earlier as I was kind of recapping that. Yeah. He goes to the forge. Um. He stops Dolores. He's obviously not on Dolores' side at that point, right? Um. He comes back. Elsie still doesn't really trust him. She freezes him, and then he witnesses Charlotte mm-hmm. killing Elsie, and that's his last straw for Team Humans. <laughs> 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 except, except ultimately he's still kind of Team Human because, you know, why does why does Dolores bring him back? Like she tells him that she needs him to like balance her out, right? Why does she do that? Like, why would you? I don't know. If you really, if your intent, maybe that's season three. There, if your intent was to, uh, you know, take over humanity, why would you bring the one person that could help stop you? I mean, I maybe she figures that like he is, he's the most experienced like hybrid, if you will. Yeah. So well, and I think her her motives change too. I feel like that's what they're trying to say, right? Mm-hmm. Humans can't change their core drives. Hosts can. And the fact that she puts Teddy into the Valley Beyond, um, the fact that she brings Bernard back, I think these are all indications that she's something has changed within her too. But what that is, <laughs> no idea. And I have no idea what season three is going to be. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to watching season two over again. Try to connect all these myriad of dots. Yeah. Even as complicated as Lost got sometimes, it was never it was never this layer of of bananas crazy, you know. But what do you expect from a, from a Nolan? 